Hello everybody, Father Bob Spitzer here again uh, speaking with you about this uh, uh, real difficult problem we have uh, not only in the Catholic Church but in all churches of 41% of our young people uh, leaving uh, the church, losing their faith altogether in, in God and in Jesus Christ. And um, the solution to that problem, which we call the Seven Essential Modules, and uh, again, if you would uh, go to CredibleCatholic.com, uh, click on that big red button called Seven Essential Modules, and then um, this episode is going to be uh, episode number four. So go to episode number four in the Seven Essential Modules, and you will see a 90-minute version of what I'm about to give you in 15. Uh, right now, <clears throat> we've talked so far about the evidence for God from science, and we've talked about the evidence for our transphysical soul that will survive bodily death, both from scientific, empirically validatable evidence. And now, you know, you might think to yourself, well, gosh, you know, how are you going to get any scientifically validatable evidence for Jesus Christ? I mean, obviously, you can have historical testimonies, and, and we do have that. We have, you know, the testimony of Tacitus, who was, of course, a, a Roman historian. We have the, te the testimony of uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian. Uh, we have the te Talmudic uh, testimony as well, a Babylonian Talmud, etc., which all of which talk about Jesus Christ by, you know, <coughs> historians who are uh, pretty much uh, enemies of Christianity. So we have a very good idea that Jesus existed and people acknowledge his existence. We also have <coughs> a pretty good idea too that uh, um, that Jesus uh, performed miracles and he was crucified. These things are, are told to us. But how do we get access to the resurrection itself? How can we get a scientific datum uh, that, that will do this, that will lay a foundation for our students that can in turn, we can then build these remarkable arguments from N.T. Wright and from John P. Meyer on the historicity of Jesus. We can build it atop this empirical evidence. And remember, empirical evidence speaks so strongly to our kids. This is one of the, by the way, this particular uh, episode on the Shroud of Turin speaks very, very deeply to the kids. Not only because it talks about not just God and the soul, but it talks about Jesus and specifically the passion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. You've probably guessed it. It is the Shroud of Turin. Now, I think many of you are probably thinking to yourself, yes, but the Shroud of Turin was disproved in 1988 carbon dating. No, it wasn't. As a matter of fact, and what the, our episode explains, and what CredibleCatholic.com explains in much greater detail, is, um, is that that 1988 carbon dating was in fact very flawed. The single strand that was taken was taken from a very controversial uh, uh, part of the shroud. The shroud was caught in what was called the fire of Chambray in 1458. After that fire, the sisters actually patched uh, the cloth up, and when they patched it up, they put a, a you know a back uh, lining and uh, you know a back uh, uh, cover on the on the cloth and and sewed that in as well. So there's all kinds of threads that was in that very controversial corner that came from the 15th century. Well, that strand was sent into three uh, laboratories for carbon dating. It was, split, it was split into three parts, sent to three labs, and lo and behold, it turns out it's, uh, you know, the 15th century is the date that is given to it. 
Well, you know, uh, since 1988, in 1998, a series of thermal chemists uh, who were headed up by Dr. Raymond Rogers uh, and others, um, uh, you know, did a test of the fibrils, right? So these, these little fibrils that were taken on sticky tapes during the 1978 Shroud of Turin Research Project uh, examination. Now those fibrils, we can match the precise place from which the strand of uh, uh, the sample was taken uh, for the carbon dating, and we can find out the exact fibrils from the sticky tapes that came from that region. What Ray Rogers and, and his colleagues found was that these fibrils were filled with cotton. Now, cotton, two things to know about it. Number one, the shroud is made of linen, not of cotton. So the, the, the cotton, which by the way was not even available in, in first century Israel, comes into Europe about the 11th century. And the gum dye mordant that was used, so that some dye was used to make the cotton threads that the sisters were sewing in to make it look the same color as the shroud. That dye and the mordant used for the adhesive for that dye came into Europe after the 12th century. So we know for a fact that these threads that were tested were cotton and had uh, you know, materials in them not even available in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem in the first century. The rest of the shroud is linen. So the determination was made that the samples that were used to do the carbon dating did not come from the rest of the shroud. The protocols for the 1988 carbon dating were violated. It was supposed to be seven different parts of the shroud, and they were supposed to be materially tested and thermochemically tested before they went to the 1988 carbon dating. None of that was done. The controversial strand was taken from the controversial corner, and now we find it's got cotton in them, so it doesn't even resemble the rest of the shroud of Turin. Completely invalid. Another carbon dating will have to be done. In the meantime, though, what has happened? We've gotten four additional tests to date the Shroud of Turin. Uh, one of them is a Fourier transformed infrared spectroscopy uh, test, dating test. We have another one, a Raman laser spectroscopy test. Another one, which is a mechanical uh, compressibility and, and tension test. And another one, which is called a vanillin test, uh, which of course measures the decay uh, of, of a material that's embedded in linen uh, that, that decays over the course of time and can be indexed. Now the point that I'm, I'm trying to make here is these four tests pretty much put the shroud to about 50 AD, plus or minus 150 years with a 95% confidence level. The shroud very, very likely came from the first century. And where did it come from? We have definitive pollen evidence embedded in the shroud uh, that shows that it came from Jerusalem. But more, there's more data. Of, there, there, there are coins that were put on the man's eyes in the shroud to keep his eyelids closed after the crucifixion, possibly you know, to, to overcome the process of eyes opening during rigor mortis. And so these two Roman leptons that are on the man's eyes, and by the way, they're Roman coins, but they have four enigmas on these leptons. Leptons are very common coins, but not the coins on the man's eyes. Those coins have four enigmas that came only from <clears throat> a special <clears throat> minting of Roman leptons by whom? 
Pontius Pilate, when? 29 AD. Where? Jerusalem. Are you kidding me? A medieval forger got a hold of these two enigmatic coins from that special minting by Pontius Pilate in 29 AD in Jerusalem and put them on the man's eyes? I don't think so. And of course, we have even the most remarkable kind of dating of all, and that is what's called the face cloth of Oviedo. There is a face cloth in Oviedo, Spain, and it's been, you know, called the face cloth that's reported in the Gospel of John. Remember when they, they, the two apostles arrive at the tomb, they see the burial cloth over here, namely the shroud, and then over here they see the face cloth rolled up in a place by itself. Well, we have that face cloth, and we're pretty sure it's the face cloth uh, that, that touched the same face as the man on the Shroud of Turin. And how do we know that? We know it because there's 124 bloodstains on that face cloth. And there's no image as there is on the Shroud of Turin. But if you put that uh, together and you digitally override the face cloth uh, wounds with the wounds on the face of the man in the Shroud of Turin, you will see that they are an identical match. 124 unusual wounds of crucifixion matching wound for wound. Do you know the odds of this happening if, that, uh, um, if those two cloths had not touched the same face? And I would submit that it is the same face of a uniquely crucified person. Uniquely crucified because he had a crown of thorns. Uniquely crucified because he had a, 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 a Roman legionary spear thrown between his, his uh, fifth and, and sixth ribs and going up right into the pericardial sac and into the heart, exactly spilling blood and water. And of course, we can see a, as well the whippings from a Roman whip, etc. We have a pretty good idea that this cloth, not pretty good, we have like a 99% confidence level that this, both cloths are from the Shroud of Turin. Interestingly, by the way, we have a provenance for the face cloth of Oviedo that goes back to the 600s. So let me get to the point that I think is really important and what really impresses the kids. First of all, when we get the dating picture corrected, and we can see that it is very likely the, the burial cloth of Jesus, and we see very clearly too that, um, that it uh, goes back to Jerusalem and goes back uh, to the time of Jesus, then we can look at the evidence for the passion. By the way, that's real blood. It's real hemoglobin. It's got a partial genetic profile. It has an AB positive blood type. I mean, there's no question that this is real blood. But, and the, the, the description in the Gospels of Jesus' passion, blow for blow, are pictured, portrayed in blood, and of course contusions all over the face and body that are emblazoned on the shroud. Remember, the shroud is a perfect three-dimensional photographic negative image. Let me repeat that. The shroud is not just bloodstains. It is a perfect three-dimensional photographic negative image. Now, this is a very unusual image. And what the kids really hear and what they need to hear is that this image, when you um, uh, try to explain it, 
it can't be explained. It's the most unique image in the world because the entire photographic image is on the uppermost surface of the fibrils. It never penetrates to the middle of the fibers, let alone the middle of the cloth. So it's just on the uppermost surface of the fibrils. And of course, if you look at that, you know, you're going to have to find an explanation you can't get liquids if you used a dye or a paint or something like that, or you used a rub. All of these things would penetrate to the middle of the fibers. That's not going to work. Vapors won't work. It'll penetrate to the middle of the fiber. Well, well how's about, um, you know, scorching? Scorching is easily detectable. Just right, shine a fluorescent light over it, and it'll fluoresce so much you'll know right away whether this thing has been scorched. Well, none of that explains the image on the of Turin, the most unique image in the history of images in the world. Well, well, how can you get an image like this onto the Shroud of Turin? And here is our relic of the resurrection. You're going to have to turn this linen cloth, which is a non-photographically sensitive cloth, you're going to have to turn that into a perfect photographic negative. That's what you're going to have to do. Now, how are you going to do that? If you're not going to have heat, if you're not going to use vapors, not going to use dyes, not going to use rubs, not going to use any other, uh, you know, uh, possible, uh, you know, cause to do this. It's going to have to be pure light energy. In 2010, Paolo de Lassaro, and in several different labs with several different colleagues around Italy and Europe, they actually were able to replicate the production of this image by light. And they did it with eczema ARF lasers. It would take 14,000 eczema ARF lasers to produce the image on the Shroud of Turin in the way that it has been produced. Now, how much light is that? What kind of light will that require? It'll require between six to eight billion, with a B, billion watts of light energy coming from this dead body. Six to eight billion watts. That's like taking a million searchlights, right, with, with a, a, a magnitude, you know, of a thousand watts uh, uh, six, uh, excuse me, six million uh, to eight million searchlights with a magnitude of a thousand watts each and shining it on a single spot. I mean, how does a dead body do this? Answer, dead bodies do not normally do this. There's no natural cause explanation for this phenomenon. So, of course, what the kids are beginning to realize, wait a minute, this is like a, a relic of the resurrection, a relic of the, the light, you know, the, the, the transformed body and light that St. Paul talks about, right? The pneumatic Soma. But more than this, that body actually has an imprint that's three, uh, that uh, image has an imprint that's three-dimensional. In other words, the, 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 the cloth actually has to penetrate into the body to actually get a, a, a photograph of the ribs inside and the bones of the hands inside. It has to penetrate the body. But how can it penetrate the body? How can it penetrate the surface? In physics, we call it, it becomes mechanically transparent. In theology, we'd say it becomes a spiritual body. The very word used by St. Paul, a pneumaticon soma. So in other words, we now have six to eight billion watts of light energy for one forty billionth of a second with a cloth that is penetrating, completely penetrating into the, um, into the inside of the body as well as the surface of the body. And while it's doing this, light is emitting from every
every three-dimensional point on the uh, uh, you know uh, on uh, the inside of the body. My explanation is this has got to be a supernatural cause. But the interesting thing is that the supernatural cause corresponds perfectly to the gospel accounts of Jesus's transformed body, St. Paul's letters of the transformed spiritual body, to this whole idea of Jesus appearing in glory and in light. And of course, as we can see, this is a real relic. It's almost as if God had just you know, decided 2,000 years ago, I'm going to give those scientists in the 20th and 21st centuries a real run for their money. I'm going to give them a relic of the resurrection. Gotcha. The kids get the implications. What do you do? You just, all you need to do to get a 90-minute explanation of all this is go to our website, CredibleCatholic.com, and then click on that big red button that says Seven Essential Modules, and go to the fourth module on the evidence of Jesus' resurrection, which spends a considerable amount of time on the Shroud of Turin. Well, that's all I have for this third episode, and we're not going to be able to talk about the other modules, of course, uh, in this little brief rendition, but I hope you get the point and the significance. We not only have evidence for God and a transphysical soul, we actually have evidence for the resurrection and therefore the divinity of Jesus in his historical setting, his passion, his resurrection. Well, thanks for joining me. I'll give a wrap-up video uh, just at the end to say where do we go from here. Thanks so much. Father Bob Spitzer again, over and out.